unlights billows, you are tempest-tossed. When you are uh, discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you uh, what the Lord has done. And so many people in life have, uh, they'll get in trouble, and then all of a sudden their lives will start falling apart. And the, the last thing they do is turn to God and say, Lord, uh, stop. And uh, so I sit there in the, in the church, and I raise my hand, and he asked for some people to just tell the blessings, man. I started, I said, hey, man, I got my wife and I got my kids. I said, I got my life. I got a job. I got food on the table. I got stuff that keeps me going. I said, I got a Lord that loves me. I got a, a wing that I can go under anytime I get in trouble. And that guy starts looking at me like I'm out of my mind. <clears throat> and uh, you know what? I like this songbook. I really do like this songbook. I like it a whole bunch. Uh, I like my Bible and I like this songbook. Because no matter what happens in life, I can find something to cheer me up. And if I look at it, what goes on in this world out here, I can get depressed real quick like the next guy. But I'm telling you what, man, I like uh, Are you ever burdened with a load of care? Yep, yep, that's me. Uh, does it, see, if you read this thing and, and you just read it like it means absolutely nothing at all, you're missing the whole thing. Uh, you start getting this thing like, hey, this, this was written to me. I think these songs, I think uh, Johnson Oltman Jr., uh, that's a good guy too, by the way. Uh, he, I think he wrote that song just for Mike Elliott a long, long time ago. Uh, 1856 to 1922, don't know exactly when this thing was written. He goes, uh, are you ever burdened with a load of care? Yep. Does the cross seem heavy you are called to bear? Yep. Uh, count your many blessings. Hey, man, are you going to heaven? I'm like, oh, yeah, man. <laughs> I, my sister died, and uh, my nephew died at the same time, and, and I found out when I was in Pensacola, Florida, going to Bible college. And a kid walked in, and he didn't know no better. I mean, he just didn't know what to say. He said, uh, Brother Ellie, he goes, your sister and nephew's dead. And he walks out. I'm like, what? That's a really weird way to tell somebody that their, their sister, little sister, and nephew passed away. So I go out there and find out what goes on. I sit on a, a stoop and out in front of the, I remember sitting there just thinking. And, and it was like the Holy Spirit, the Lord, come down and sit next to me and said, hey, Mike. I said, yeah. He goes, uh, what's wrong? And I, I didn't say a whole lot. And he goes, uh, is your sister saved? I said, well, yes. He goes, where's she at? And I said, in heaven. He said, okay. I said, man, she's gone. I said, Nick is in heaven. I said, they're up there with you right now. I said, that's where they're at. They're happy. They're having a good time. He goes, you don't have a thing to worry about. He said, what you need to do is go comfort your family. That's what you need to do. Don't worry about anything else. And I'm sitting people say, well, what, what kind of blessing is that? I got a God that when I'm hurting, he walks right next to me and says, hey, Mike, I'm going to walk right through this thing with you. I'm not going to take it away, but I'm going to walk through you with it. I'm going to walk with you through it. And I'm sitting there going, man, count your blessings. I got, I got so many blessings if I started to now. Like they was talking about the ocean, if, if you ran the ocean dry, if it was ink, and you could run that thing dry of what God's done for us, uh, you wouldn't have enough ink. If they could refill it, you couldn't refill it enough times to write the blessings that God. In eternity, you're going to see the things. And Andrew, I don't know where you're at. There you are. Andrew's going to preach at us tonight. Jerry's got the bell. So, man, that's it. And here. Maybe I should take this one, too. Just in case. <laughs> so we got two. If he gets a double, we're going to Quit now. I know, that's my question. You got the bell, but when am I supposed to stop? <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't put this in the instruction manual. Like <laughs> <laughs> so we're, so we're going to be one of those types of churches. <laughs> okay. All right. These guys in the back, I do appreciate them. They have made this foolproof. Although I'm giving them a run for their money. Trying as hard as they can. 
Okay, if you could turn to, uh, well, uh, start out, if you have a King James Bible, we can begin there. If you don't have one of those, you're going to need to get one. So that's where I'm going to be at. And if you have a King James Bible, and you could, please turn to the book of Joshua, chapter number 17. Joshua number 17. Now I'm going to hide this thing here so it doesn't get caught up. Joshua, Joshua chapter number 17 will be in the back half of Joshua chapter number 17. Three places I would like to go today. They all tie together. In the book of Joshua, and in the book of Numbers, and in the book of Judges. Um, a story uh, that you could kind of weave together in this part of the Bible um, that can hopefully be a help to us tonight. Not hopefully, it can be a help to us. The Bible can always be a help to anybody who is a willing mind and to uh, anybody who is trying to get what they can um, to be able to deal with the things they have to deal with. In this day and age, the Bible can be a help to you if you want it to be. And uh, the question is, how are you approaching the Bible? The Bible says here, in Joshua chapter number 17... And we will start in verse 11. And Manasseh had an Iskar and an Asher, Bethshean in her towns, and Ibleam in her towns, and the inhabitants of Dor in her towns, and the inhabitants of Endor in her towns, and the inhabitants of Teanach in her towns, and the inhabitants of Megiddo in her towns, even three countries. Yet the children of Manasseh could not drive out the inhabitants of those cities, but the Canaanite would dwell in that land. Yet it came to pass, when the children of Israel were waxed and strong, that they put the Canaanites to tribute, but did not utterly drive them out. And that would be a good place to stop for a message, and there are many messages that have been preached, ending on uh, verse number 13. We're going to keep going. And the children of Joseph spake unto Joshua, saying, Why hast thou given me but one lot and one portion to inherit, seeing I am a great people, forasmuch as the Lord hath blessed me hitherto? And Joshua answered them, If thou be a great people, get thee, or then get thee up to the wood country, and cut down for thyself there in the land of the Perizzites and of the giants, if Mount Ephraim be too narrow for thee. And the children of Joseph said, The hill is not enough for us, and all the Canaanites that dwell in the land of the valley have chariots of iron, both they who are of Bethshean and her towns, and they who are of the valley of Jezreel. And Joshua spake unto the house of Joseph, even unto Ephraim and Manasseh, saying, Thou art a great people, and hast great power. Thou shalt not have one lot only. But the mountain shall be thine, for it is a wood, and thou shalt cut it down. And the outgoings of it shall be thine, for thou shalt drive out the Canaanites, so they have iron chariots, and though they be strong. Brother Barry, could you go ahead and open us up in prayer That is the reading out of Joshua chapter number 17, as the children of Israel have begun to start conquering the land that God has given them. It had been 40 years, actually 45 years, since uh, Moses had uh, led them through the wilderness, and they started to then finally 
Because of their disobedience, they lost everybody with the exception of Joshua and Caleb. Those were the only two people that were continued and allowed to go into the land. Caleb says uh, a little bit, uh, I believe it's before this, he talks about he is 45 years old. So there was about at least five years of conquest before Caleb got most of the land that belonged to him. And, and he was 85 years old, and the Bible says that uh, he said that he was of the same level of strength. He had the same power. He had the same will that he had when he was 85 years old going into the land to conquer the things that he had originally seen when he walked back in the land as a 40-year-old as a person. And he was uh, maybe 45. Maybe that's where the, the 85 came from. And he was in the land walking with the other, 12, uh, the other, other 11, total of 12 spies in the land. And he happened to be... Uh, in the area where the giants were. And, and of course, he saw that and looked at uh, the giants and said, this is going to be a great thing that God is going to do when we get here. And Joshua had the same mind. This is going to be a great thing that God is going to do when we get here. Look at how big and look at how great these cities are. Look at how walled and fenced and everything is. Look at these chariots that they have, these iron chariots. Look at all these great people, the Anakims, the three sons of Anak. Of the son of, I believe, Arnon, the giant, of whom eventually came Goliath. Goliath came from these people. Look at all these things that are in front of us and how great things God is going to do in this land when we finally walk in here. And much to his chagrin, when he came back after seeing everything and after having all the fruits of the land and all the great things that God had told them about, unbeknownst to them. They knew nothing about this land because they were, they were slaves in the land of Egypt. They knew nothing of this great land. And here God had allowed them, these 12 people, these 12 individuals, to actually go and see the greatness of the land and, and to carry the fruits. And they were walking back with all these things. And two of the 12, I can only imagine the, the conversations, how awkward it must have been at the bonfires along the way back. Where Joshua and Caleb are kind of over here talking about, well, hey, you know, that was a pretty big city, you know, but it's kind of in good land. You know, I wouldn't mind having this mountain over here. And, you know, they have a really nice river that comes through over here. And, and, I, and I wouldn't mind building my house here. And they're talking about all the different things that are going to happen when they get there. And, and it's just like, maybe it's going to be, you know, maybe we can talk Moses into like, you know, hey, can you get a hold of God? Can we just like pack everybody up and head off? And, and maybe somehow there was, there was a split and there was the other 10 and they got... They kind of were like, you know, we're in their own little camp. I don't know what that conversation would be. I can imagine they had to have stayed together, but it's just really sad in, as an introduction to this message that somehow maybe even Joshua and Caleb were aware of, of the thoughts of these other ten men when they were heading back to the land where Moses was. And they were, they were starting to become aware that these guys were scared to death and did not share their views that God could, in fact, regardless of the size of the giants, regardless of the strength of the cities, and regardless of the impenetrability, it seemed, of the land, that God said and had said, we could do this and we would do this and we would do this, and I am looking at this and this happened, and what he said there and that happened. I'm looking what he said there and that happened. And here we are in the land. And somehow we have now started to doubt 
that even though we are where God said, and all we have to do is just go in and possess it, we have now come up with reason number 4,698 why we can't do what God told us we need to do. I don't know if they were aware of the, the, the doubting that was going on in these other 10 men, but it's just sad that a guy like Joshua and a guy like Caleb, when they came back into the land, Caleb was the first one to speak out, and he says, let's go up and possess the land. And the other 10 stood up and said, there's giants there. There's the sun. We saw the sons of Anak there. We saw, we saw that the land is just like a land that's going to swallow you up. It's gonna, it just like you go in and you, and you just it figures out a way to kill you. There's lions and tigers and bears. And everything bad that they saw was overlooked by the fact that these two guys over here saw that God could do everything he said he, he was going to do. Joshua, of course, being the one who led the army against the Amalekites with an untrained army of slaves against a professional band of raiders, the Amalekites, with maybe nothing but a bunch of tools that they had just taken out of the hands of the Egyptians. Remember, they were used to harvesting. They were used to hammers. They were used to uh, maybe scythes. They were used to tools to build brick, chisels. They were not used to the tools that the Egyptians were. The Egyptian army, the professional things that the Egyptian army had to go out to battle. But they did have one thing that the Amalekites didn't have, and that was God. And God allowed that initial test of the Amalekites to prove them, and to prove Joshua in particular. And so Joshua and Caleb give up a good report, and they say this is something that God can do based on what we've already seen God do and based on the fact that we trust God to get us through here, and we want to go possess the land, and Caleb already had his, land, he already had his mountain picked out, and he already had the hardest group of people that were going to be attacked in the whole area. He had already picked them out and said, this is mine. And we find that 40 years later, as we're now into the actual possession of the land because the children of Israel, like many of us sometimes, we have the promises of God and we, in fact, instead of following through on the, God, the things God tells us to do, we choose to wait 40 years before God gives us another opportunity. And that happened in anybody's life in here where, where God told you exactly what to do. He gave you examples. He gave you maybe a small example. Maybe Amalek was not uh, Anak. But he allowed you to be victorious in what was an impossible situation for them. They were not professional soldiers. They did not have the ability to fight. They did not have the things that a professional army would need, if, especially given the fact that they had women and children and everything else a regular army is not going to have. You don't have, you, don't have, you know, the, the forces over there, <coughs> excuse me, in Ukraine, the Russians that are coming down right now, they don't have... Uh, a bunch of older folks and a bunch of kids and a bunch of and all the luggage and wagons and everything they don't have all that there they're having a hard enough time as you can tell if you watch the news in any way shape or form they're having a hard enough time getting the tanks that they have into the areas where they're trying to do battle much less can you imagine if there was 40 million cars piled in there too but god said listen you go up on the hill moses Aaron and her, you do that, and I'll, and I'll send you, you make Joshua over here. He'll be the guy running, every, running everything and, and doing the battle, and all you have to do is hold your hand up. He didn't tell them to go start forging weapons. Lord knows what they were fighting with. They could have been fighting with their hands for all we know, or sticks. They had a lot of sheep. I know that. They were probably out there beating the Amalekites down with sticks. 
They didn't have all the stuff that would befit an army that you would expect to go uh, take over and conquer. But they had God. And I don't know what in the world happened to the Amalekites. That would be one of those things I like to see replayed in heaven. Where I see how dire the straits must have been for Israel. And how awesome it would have been to, to watch the entire army change based on the position of a staff. And so all that occurs, and Joshua and Caleb, they have to go when they have to wander, and God says, listen, because you two did what was right, because you gave the right report, you are going to walk into the land feeling exactly the same as you did 40 years later. And so they start to possess the land, and Joshua goes in, and he starts to fight. He starts to drive out the inhabitants of the land. Much the same as when you get, uh, you get saved, the first time you get saved, it's not the end of everything. I really wish, man, when you got saved that that was the end of the Christian life right there and you get to go straight to heaven. You get saved, it's like you live as, some, some people live a really hard life and it, and it takes a miracle for God to save them. And other people, it's like, you know, you're six years old. It's, I was six years old when I realized that if I was to die that night, I would, I would stand before God as a six-year-old kid and I would have to give an account of myself and God would say, you know, you knew you were supposed to get saved and you knew that you were supposed to accept my son and based on everything you saw that night, you chose to reject my son and at six years old, I knew if I stood before God, I would get thrown straight into hell if I did not accept his son right there. If I did not make a decision, they say that, um, and it's important to make those types of decisions and if you're a young kid in here, under the sound of my voice, and your parents have been trying to treat, uh, train you and been telling you about Jesus and telling you about Jesus, and maybe they didn't have the distractions that I had when I was a little, you know, smaller kid. Maybe it take you to seven or eight years old, whatever the case may be, because you, you got so many distractions. But if you're a young kid in here and you have not come to the conclusion that Jesus Christ is my Savior, then you're in a dangerous position even as a young kid. And if you're an older person in here, and you've somehow managed to live your entire life without ever accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're in a dangerous position. The, the, the roads of life out there are paved with thousands of flat squirrels who couldn't make a decision. Paved with them. They're out there, thousands of, hundreds of thousands of flat squirrels out there. Probably more flat squirrels out there than there is asphalt at one point. So we find that they came... Over the land, it's like, you know, kind of like salvation. It's the first step. You're right there. You, you cross over the river there, and you're in the land, and it's just everything's going to be great. Everything's going to be good. And first city is Jericho, one of the greatest of the ancient cities. And it was just a test. Hey, I had an Amalek over here. I walked 40 years in the wilderness, and all the foolishness that happened there, and I, I protected you. I just opened up the river for all you who didn't see the Red Sea. We're just going to do the same thing with the Jordan River here. And I'm going to make a way so you can get into the land. But as soon as you get into the land, it's now time for you to fight. And one of the misconceptions, I think, that has messed up a lot of Christians, young Christians, is the assumption that as soon as you get saved, that everything now becomes easier. And there's not a reality that your salvation is basically your introduction into boot camp during an ongoing war. And your job is now as a soldier 
to start training and arming yourself to be able to handle the challenges that are going to come the day you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and beyond. As a good soldier. The Bible says here that we're reading, we're talking about the situation that uh, Manasseh has found itself in. And um, they're, they're starting to run into situations here where maybe, you know, hey, it seems like under Joshua, everything else, and if you've read the book of Joshua, you'll know that Joshua had just a straight-up lot of success. I mean, he started doing things, and God, God allowed massive armies. That The Bible says in one case, as the sand of the seashore. You know, like what God promised the nation of Israel would be like, there was an army at one point uh, that was as the sand of the seashore combined together against Israel. I, don't, I can't remember if it says the number of people there, but you can only imagine how many hundreds of thousands, if not potentially millions of people that had assembled themselves together against the children of Israel. Based on everything that they heard, based on, you know, you hear about the Gibeonites and how they heard and, and kind of saw, hey, the, you know, this is, this, the, God has allowed this people to basically walk and stomp on every other group of people around them. And that permeated the entire Middle Eastern area, and they were all banding together. Hey, we got we got to do whatever thing, everything we can, you know, and we got to get the giants together, and we got to get, you know, this group of people, the Perizzites and the Jebusites. We got to all band together. We may be warring amongst ourselves, but there's this group of people out here that if we can't band together now, they're going to destroy all of us individually. And so Joshua starts to go one by one by one, and the Lord gives him victory, as if it doesn't even give details sometimes. It just says this massive group of people came up, and Joshua just discomfited them, and they all died and slew them all. There wasn't a single one left. Hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people had been killed. Now, some people, I could, I could take a brief pause right there. Some people might kind of cast a, 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 a rough shot eye at God, saying how in the world, listen, there's, no, there's nothing wrong with, uh, with looking at a passage like that where you start seeing God's judgment on something, and, and if you don't understand why the judgment's there, many people turn to try to blame God and say that God's an evil and a mean God. When God had been a merciful and a gracious God to these people, and there, it, there came a time when the transgressions reached a certain level, and it was now time for God, in His infinite wisdom, to make a decision that it is now judgment time for these people. Yes, I'm going to bless my people, but at the same time, I'm going to use them as a tool to judge this group of people over here that have forsaken and rejected me for thousands of years. And God started to judge. And he used the children of Israel to judge. And they started going through uh, defeating nation after nation. And groups of people fell. And it talks about Joshua went in and he discomfited the giants. He destroyed the children of Anak. And we find... Uh, in, a, in another passage where they basically were, were isolated to Gath, Ashtaroth, and one other city, Gaza, I believe it was. And the, the groups of these giants, the groups of these people start to get smaller and smaller and smaller, and they're, they're more isolated, they're remote, and they're, and they're now found on mountaintops, and they're found in, in random valleys, and they're found in a, a few scattered places along the sea. And then we start to get into this part of the Bible where God starts to back up a little bit, just the immediate, you know, all you have to do is just walk from there to there, and I'm just going to send hornets, you know. I'm going to fire hornets, hailstones mingle with fire, and just going to drive them out. And he starts to back up a little bit and say, all right, you want the mountain. You want the mountain. 
You want this extra land. You say you, ha you need all this land, Ephraim. You get it and you cut it down. I blessed you this entire time. Joshua, uh, Caleb, you, you already have your inheritance. You know, we talk about, let's just kind of skip forward a little bit here uh, to add some meat to the bones here. Uh, chapter number 18. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh and set up the tabernacle of the congregation there, and the land was subdued before them. And there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes which had not received their inheritance. And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, How long are you slack to go to possess the land? So Caleb, had, Caleb and the, the tribe of Judah, they'd already conquered the land they're supposed to conquer. Caleb already had his mountain. He went and he eliminated the, the sons of Anak. He drove them out. And I think if you read that chapter where it talks about Caleb's ventures, that three times in that chapter it says specifically that he wholly followed the Lord his God. Three times. Listen, God, you said that I could have this mountain and I feel perfectly fine. I'm, I am strong. I'm fit, ready to go to war. And you said because I wholly followed you way back over here 40 years ago that you would give me this mountain. And Hebron was the city. Three times. And God said, you know what? You wholly followed me. Go in and I'll protect you. I'll give you everything you need to be successful there. So there's seven groups of people that had yet to go in the land and possess. Like I said earlier, I was talking about the squirrel. These groups of people, these tribes, they should have, as soon as they started to see the rest, the God blessing the rest of the people, God blessing Caleb, God blessing Joshua, God blessing all the other armies that had been sent out in the various parts, why, why, why wouldn't they possess the land? Even though they were in the greater children of Israel and they had seen all the things that God had seen, sometimes just like the children of Israel, we find ourselves in a position where we see all kinds of things happen in other people's lives and God starts to create victories in other people's lives and still we don't move. I mentioned before prior to the revival that I believe that this revival was going to be a good revival. I knew it was going to be a good re revival for me. I knew that. I had already prepared. I started preparing a long time ago. I wanted the revival to be something that would be a help to me. I wanted to show up prepared, have the right heart, you know, so that way the things that God had put in Dr. Peacock's mind, his mouth, his notes, would be able to get into my heart and be a help. Help me to get farther. Help me to conquer more of my land. Help me to conquer more of my ground. But maybe there was somebody in here who came to the revival, and for whatever reason, that mountain that God told you you need to conquer, you still have not moved towards that mountain. It's not that God is weak and, and can't get you there. It's not that the mountain was never meant to be yours in the first place or the valley. Sometimes valleys are a lot harder than mountains, personal experience. But maybe it's just because you have not moved. And God is not going to move sometimes unless you move. Sometimes he'll make a way. I mean, talk about some of the kids that were raised in church. God did a lot of things for me as a pastor's son to possibly prevent me, I would say, from getting into a lot of foolishness that I otherwise would have got into. That's Dr. Peacock's testimony. Part of it is if 
If he would have been put in a position that some of the people, like, let's say the people I see in the jail, if I was to be put in that position, Lord knows I may never get out of some of the challenges those guys ever face. And it was by God's grace that he allowed many other challenges and many other situations to be overcome in the lives of my parents. So that way I did not have to deal with things that I otherwise not, would have not been able to overcome. Or they would have dragged me down and kept me down for a lot longer but all that aside, I still have mountaintops that I need to be, and you still have mountaintops that you need to be overcoming. And the question is, what excuse, like the children of Ephraim, what excuse, Christian, will you make for not going into the land and the part, every part of the land, not just the few things that, you, that you've already gotten, but he said, man, I need more land. I need more space. I want it all. Why? Because God promised it to me. Anything God promised to me, I want to have. I want to have it all. I think there's nothing wrong. You know, you talk about, we can talk about ambition and talk about things you want to do. And Dr. Peacock mentioned goals, trying to, not going to retread any of the things that he said, but just kind of starting to move forward. Like Dad said, you know, how, how in the world do you follow a message like that? I don't know. We're going to try as best as we can. <laughs> but to go forward. You may have to look at some place or some event or some situation in your life, maybe, this, maybe some, some area of your life that God is now in the revival or maybe leading up to the revival and then he highlighted it in the revival. He pointed out an area where he said, I want you to go there and do that. And it's a mountain. And it's, it has work. You have to work once you get there. You have to cut something down and get something out of there. And it's not just that, but there's an extremely difficult challenge that, that you know exists there, and you've been avoiding it because of the people that you know or the problems that you know or the situation that you know is going to happen once you get there. Like I said, there's still three sons in it. Joshua won, and he destroyed a lot of them, but there were still little groups scattered. Judges chapter number 3, it talks about how God had left these nations to prove the children of Israel. And I'm thankful for revival experiences. Believe me, I needed it. It was something that will be a, a, a marker, a time in my life where a lot of things, a lot of situations, not just in my own life, but in the lives of other people that I watched, a lot of things got, uh, got fixed. A lot of things got closed off. A lot of things uh, were, uh, were done, were completed, that need to be completed. But God also revealed a lot of things in my life, personally, where it's not, hey, I've given you, allowed you to have a lot of land here, a lot of, a lot of spiritual leeway. I've given you a lot of ability to get some of these things done, and then I just gave you another swath over here. But there's still some stuff left over here. And it's not time to, uh, we're through revival, and everything's kind of like, you know, mentally, you're physically drained, and then we have... Today we have time change on top of that, and you're just like, oh, my goodness. And the devil is just, man, he's right there. He, he, he knows that all those things are kind of happening at the same time, and he's, he's there to try to distract you and to get you off into whatever you were doing before revival. And he's trying, he'll, just, he'll just try to tweak you, make you mad, make you messed up. I guarantee, there's, I guarantee there's somebody in here who started their day off, and everything just felt like a train wreck. Guarantee it. Guarantee it. And the devil would like to just take you, and he would like to, as soon as you go up that mountain, he'd just discourage you just like those other ten 
did and, and you're getting ready and you know that, hey, this is the last place we have to conquer here. And then we're done and, and you go up there and the only thing that you're thinking of is that those 10 bad reporters. Most report, that's just true fact. Most reporters, if you read the Bible, most reporters are bad. <laughs> okay, You get 10 out of 12. Bad, 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 bad. So if you're watching the news, you already have your numbers for you. The percentages are terrible. And specifically here, the Bible says, and the children of Joseph said in verse 16, the hill is not enough for us. All the Canaanites that dwell in the land of the valley have chariots of iron, both they who are of Beth Shean and her towns, and they who are of the valley of Jezreel. Now, Jezreel, of course, was known for horses. If you go into, you go forward in your Bible, you're going to run into um, uh, Elijah. And that whole area in there was known for horses. Samaria, of course, is known as the city of horses. So horses and chariots of iron. I'm not just talking about like the type of chariots that you see when you see like, you know, Israel or uh, uh, Israel in the land of Egypt. And, you know, they're driving around the little light chariots. I mean, the, the types of chariots that, that we're dealing with here, again, trying to use the comparison of Amalek over here and how it was more of a, a professional group of mercenaries coming against the, the nation of Israel who were not prepared to deal with that type of thing. Physically speaking, they did not have the physical things that an army would be required to fight off something like that. And now we're moving into an environment where these were effectively tanks. They were heavy iron chariots as opposed to the lighter chariots of the Egyptians. They had walls on the side and little things where you could put out a sword. And basically what they would do is they would just drive through the, the host. They'd have a bunch of horses. They'd just drive right through you. And if you didn't get run over by the horse, you would get slaughtered by the people on each side. They would have many, many people, six, seven to ten people in these chariots. And they would just sit there and, and just all they had to do was just keep their hand out doing this or spears, or whatever else it would be. And there was only usually one very small box at the end where you could get in. And so the children of Israel, not only did they see the chariots, but they saw the giants driving the chariots. And what a fearful sight that must have been. And God says, I want you to go take them. And they're saying, we got, we got staffs. <laughs> we have maybe a few bows, a few of this, a few of that. We don't have the means. We don't have the manpower to deal with these, these chariots. Just like the children of Israel sometimes, we have, we have like that 2 out of 12. That's like, go get a man. God said it. Let's go do it. And if I'm to look back in the past and look at Israel as an example for myself, I find that most often the times I have 10 Ten parts of me who's saying, ain't no way in the world. It's too big. The situation is too hard. What kind of chariots are we talking about here? You know, I kind of wrote a couple notes down thinking about chariots. And, you know, some people's chariot may be, your chariot may be depression. Your chariot may be anxiety. Your chariot may be self-loathing. Your chariot may be a very wicked, evil sin, something that just seems to beat you all over the place, so much so that you, you don't even have the strength to even think about dealing with it. You don't even know how to overcome it. You don't think it's possible, and you're, you're fine, just, you're content to just settle in the areas where God has given you and leave that, that mountain all by itself because you don't think it can actually be conquered. Some people have problems with their physical appearance. 
weight, all kinds of things that can just ruin your day. When The more you think about it, it just constantly weighs you down. I got two crazy kids sometimes. I mean, I'm not just saying that. I mean, it's, sometimes they can, just kids, and you all understand, if you have kids to some degree, they can just make you nuts. They drive you crazy sometimes. I love them. Believe me, I love my kids. It's like the crazier they are, the more that I love them. The more I realize that, you know, what my parents had to deal with. I'm surprised they didn't lead me to the curb somewhere. But we all have things like that that can just wear you out. And situations that, situations, challenges that you don't even want to attempt to deal with. No matter if God said, and you know it exists in the Bible, there's a way out and there's a way to bear it. And there's a, there's a temptation and there's a tribulation and Jesus was there. And you know, yeah, but yeah, the situation itself is so overpowering that you, you just kind of brush aside anything that God said in the Bible because you cannot bring yourself to grips with the fact that that can be conquered. And it's probably the thing that you knew going into revival that God was probably going to deal with you on. And here you are on the flip side of revival, and you still have the same challenge. The same part of your heart that you feel is, God, I just, there's something there that I cannot get out. It's unconquerable. I've seen other people conquer it. And then you start getting into frustration, right? This person over here conquered this problem, and I have had it for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. And it's easy. It seemed easy to them. Or it happened like that. Dad talks about uh, when he got saved, the things that went away that night, and then the things that took years to go away. And, you know, some of the things that went away that night for him could be the things that take years for some other people. And some people may never overcome things as, as opposed to getting the victory and, and just being able to move on. They may have to struggle with those things. Depending on what it is, there's certain things you put in your body, there's certain things you associate yourself with. It will, it will, it will create a struggle like the children of Israel had to deal with with some of these countries and some of these nations and some of these people and some of these situations that they allowed... That, that created the rest of the Old Testament. It very well could have been as Joshua was going in the land. Let's just say we go back before, before the 40 years out in the wilderness. If the children of Israel could have been brought to realize that God had already done so much for them in the past, and there was no reason why they should doubt him going into the land, you realize that most of the Old Testament would not have had to happen if they would have went into the land, and every time God said, do this, they said, yes, sir, and they did it. There would be no David and Goliath. There would be no sons of Anak for there to be a Goliath in the first place. There would be no King Ahab for all the prophets to have to deal with, because they would all be dead. There would be no Jezebel. There would be no Canaanites. There would be no Babylon. But because the children of Israel did not overcome the things in their life that God had put in front of them, Joshua did. Joshua did. But the children of Israel, as a whole, God used these nations to prove them to see whether or not me putting a chariot of iron in your life is going to be something that causes you to quit. 
And the children of Israel, what, what, what happened? They overcame. They overcame. They, they, they got through the land. When we get into chapter number 18, it says uh, 7, and you know who's not mentioned there? Ephraim. So though they be strong and though they be, they have chariots of iron, and iron is a strong thing. It's, it's like a strong, uh, like that band of iron. I'm thinking of that band of iron over there in Daniel where he's talking about, you know, wrapped around the trees. There's something that's, that's tight. It's hard. You can't overcome, Christian. I'm telling you, you can't overcome. It may not happen in the time that, that you feel like the other things you've overcome in your life, like it would happen as quickly as those things have been overcome. But the, the point is that even though it is not overcome as fast, if you are continually in battle with that thing and you are not breaking off the battle like you need to be, if you are constantly in battle with that thing, God will eventually give you the victory over it. It may take 10 years, but at the 10-year mark, when you get that victory, it will feel like a greater victory than everything else you've done before. And that is worth it. It's worth it when you get into heaven and just like Dad said this morning, gold, silver, precious stones, and you spent all this time fighting this one little thing and you feel like you're going to get this one little precious stone and God may give you the bulk of the things that you get in heaven over that one thing that you just decided to stick it out and toughen up over and fight and do battle with it. The Bible says here that though they be, though they have chariots of iron, though they be, they be strong. I mentioned I was, uh, I was reading a message from an older preacher. His name was Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He had, he preached this message Back in the 1800s, and he had three points. Talk about these iron chariots. And his first point was they must be driven out. And he said, there's no excuse for you to give to your sin, for you to give to the problems that God put in your life, for you to give to the challenges that he expects you to overcome. There's no excuse that's acceptable for God for you to make for not dealing with that. Oftentimes, especially as Americans, we, we very quickly, and there's nothing honestly wrong about you making an excuse for somebody else's failures, but don't let you be the one who makes an excuse for your own failures, for your own sins to pervade in your life. I will give you leeway. It's our job as Christians to give each other leeway because we know that we're going to fail and we're going to fall all over the place. But don't you ever let the devil get you to the point where you start making excuses for your own wickedness in your life. They must be driven out. There's no excuse. There's no excuse for them not to be driven out. Yes, they're hard. Yes, they're chariots of iron. Yes, it's very different than the pushover armies that you had over here. But it is something that is equally important in God's eyes, and he expects you to drive it out of your life. Whatever the thing is in your heart, whatever the thing is in your marriage, whatever the thing is in your, your life that is unacceptable to God, that is preventing you from having the part of having all of you, you must drive it out. Second point is, you can drive it out. And he pulled and he used the example of how God had gotten him to this point, and yes, it was a hard situation, but the fact that they were there in the land and not in the land of Egypt means that a lot of things that God said could happen had happened, and there was no reason to doubt God continuing the process. And oftentimes we have certain things happen, and it seems like, we overcome certain situations very quickly, and, and we just never, we never look back on them. And, and it seems like it's something that you're just able to walk away from. And, 
and you're able to resolve it and you move forward and God gives you the victory and it's just a quick thing and you run right into the next thing and it's like, ah, this is going to, it's going to take time. It's going to be, it's a, this is a hard thing. It's not something that I think that, that is going to be an easy thing for me to get out of my life. For me, it's, it's going to take some resisting. It's going to take some, and I mean, there's a reason why it says over in Joshua chapter 1 verse 8, it says, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Why? Because the things that you're going to encounter are going to be strong things sometimes. I kind of think that this is a perfect example of that, you know, Ephesians chapter number 6, where it's talking about principalities and powers and rulers. You know, sometimes we, we just kind of like have an abstract view of what those things actually are. Those things can very well be an iron chariot. There's a reason he's telling you to arm yourself with stuff. He's a reason, you know, and not just arm yourself, but go out and practice. Go out and try to, try to fight things, man. I mean, get... Just like the, this, you know, me making a total fool of myself right now. This is not something that can occur in most churches. I know preachers that don't get to really preach until they've been handed a church. This is, a, this is, you know what this is right now for me personally? This is an ability to pull my sword out and hopefully not chop somebody's head off. But to learn how to wield my sword in an area that's not otherwise combat. So that way, some way, some some time out there when I run into an actual situation where I have to be prepared to deal with something, I hopefully have some experience that I can then use and apply to the situation. And just like the iron chariot there that you have to deal with in your life and I have to deal with in my life, they're all different. But it's the same God that deals and helps us. The Bible says, be strong in the power of the, or the, power of the Lord and in his might. The same exact command that Joshua got. Be strong and courageous. And you have, to, you have to go through God's power. They didn't have their own power to get to drive those things out. Sometimes we try to drive out our own problems. We go to doctors, we go to psychologists, we go to, we go to lawyers, we go to accountants. We go to all kinds of people in the world to try to solve our problems. And oftentimes the person who gets put at the end is God. After all those people fail and let us down. And if you would go to God first, Christians, he may, put you in, he may put you in touch with all the people you need to solve your problems, only it's in the right order now. Because you started with God first. God, I have a financial problem, and it's wearing me out. And it's like every time I go to attack it, I have the Bible, and, it's in, and the verses and everything else. But it's like I'm just beating against an iron chariot. It's not going away. It's not dying. It's not being driven out. And I know, and i got enough sense reading my Bible, that if I don't drive this thing out and I don't get some of these cities destroyed, then there's going to be a guy called Sisera down the road, and he's going to come out of this city that's here in Bethsheen. And if we don't drive him out now, my kids, my family, my fe the people in this church in the future may have a problem because of something I didn't drive out of my own life. It's worth staying engaged in the battle against these things. It's worth staying engaged, Christian. I'll tell you, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's annoying. Sometimes you get frustrated. Sometimes, you, And you can't be focused on the lives of other people. I tell you, you can't do that. You have to worry about your own battles. You have to worry about your own struggles, your own trials that God's going to put in your life and handle them as God, handle, as God gives them to you. Don't try to worry about how easy it was for somebody else to deal with the same situation because you will wear yourself out. And you will find yourself defeated before you even go to battle against some of these things that God's going to put in your path because you think that God is somehow going to give you the same level of victory. And believe me, the other person may be looking at you saying, why did you let him be victorious over this thing? 
And why can't you let me be victorious over that thing? And that's one of those things where even the good things that happen, we compare ourselves. If you compare yourself, even, even the good things that happen in your life, you say, well, the good thing in my life could have been better like somebody, like this thing in somebody else's life. And God's like, but I, yeah, I gave you the victory though, right? It took three times as long, but I gave you the victory. You stuck it out. You defeated it. Well, God, I, it didn't happen as fast as I, yeah, okay. And you end up in the same situation. You are now defeated, even sometimes in victory. You, they call it stealing. It's the, the cloud, the, the, the cloud or the silver lining in the cloud. And you look for the cloud in every silver lining. I'm driving out iron chariots. And the Bible says here, But the mountain shall be thine, for it is a wood, and thou shalt cut it down, and the outgoings of it shall be thine, for thou shalt drive out must be driven out they can be driven out and the bible says here for thou shalt drive out the canaanites and if you fight long enough christian and you go in the name of the lord and you have the power that he has on your life you will drive out the things that he expects you to drive out you must you can you shall drive the canaanites out And maybe you have some Canaanites in your life that are left over from revival, maybe left over from revivals, years and years and years. And it seems like you've, you've gotten, God's blessed you with so much stuff. But as I read my Bible over and over again, it seems like every time in the book of Joshua, when I get to the end of a chapter, it talks about, but these people were left in the land and they could not drive out this group and they could not drive out their group. And that Christian man, that, that's, that's in a sense, much of America. We are content with getting to a certain point in our spiritual lives and our walk. And it's like, God, I'm fine and I'm glad and I'm, I want to get to this point and when I get there, I'm, I'm done. And I don't want to fight anymore. I want to, just like what a lot of preachers do, a lot of you know, preachers in different denominations, they come to a certain point, well, I, I spent my 20 years preaching, I want to retire. That's not the way that works. There is no retirement in the Christian life. You get to the end when you die, and you got to drive things out of your life. And I imagine when I get to my, my old age, there's probably all kinds of things and problems I'm going to have in my old age just based on some of the things I've seen in the lives of other people that I don't have a problem with right now. I was talking to Dr. Peacock. We were just shooting the breeze while he was sitting there waiting on his flight, and he was talking about a problem I have that's very similar to him. It's just not as advanced because he's older, and he had, if you remember back, when he had that problem with his neck, and it was causing him all kinds of problems. He said it was like a knife right in the middle of his back. And I'm starting to have some back problems because I've been bouncing around on mowers and trailers and trucks for the last six or seven years. And I'm starting to, and I was telling him, yeah, this problem, and I feel like, you know, there's like a, there's a softball right back here. And, and it's, you know, this problem right here is causing problems in my middle back, which is pushing this out of whack. And it's causes weakness in my abs and it's pulling my spine forward like this and just everything, you know, just the way I sit. And then I'm sitting on my wallet all the time, all these different problems. And he's like, yeah, you know what? It took me six months. Like, but, if it, but if you start working on it now, it may only take you a couple weeks of rehab to get your stuff done. Well, the older you get, it takes a lot longer to get some things driven out. But if you're willing to stick through the process, he said when he started, he said when he started, they laid him down and they, they did traction on his back and they just pulled his back, had to stretch out his whole spine. He said twice a week or twice a day for two weeks. 
And the thing that stuck out to me most about the whole conversation is I was like, you know, okay, what, you know, you're talking a couple days before you really start you know, seeing relief. He said, after one month, I went and I talked to the guy and I said, this is not doing anything for me. And I'm thinking, oh gosh, man, one month. <laughs> like, I can barely do this consistently for a couple days before I just get, you know, it just, it, it's not, it's the stuff, it, the, the relief isn't there. The back still hurts. The neck still hurts. The kid's jumping on my back. You know, they're happy. They want to play. They want to ride around on daddy's back, and everything hurts. And there's no relief. And God, I've been foam rolling, and I've been doing this, and I've been doing that, and I do it three times a day, and it's been three weeks and no relief. And he's like, yeah, one month it felt, I wasn't, it felt like nothing was even happening. And the guy said, you just stick it out, man. You just stick it out. I told you six months. And he said, in six months, he's like, after that point happened, he's like, I started, stuff started to get stretched out. It ended up, certain bones started to get moved in the right position. And he's like, it just took time. But he's like, I have never, I haven't had any problems since that was relieved. Like six months of treatment, he said, it's gone and I haven't had any problems since. Most of us, we have even physical problems like that. Most people, will say, just surgery, Lord, <laughs> surgery. That was an example to me. That was, I, was, I was thinking of that as I was sitting down writing this message. I'm like, man, you know what? Like Dad said this morning, you know why you come to church? Because there's people that have gone through things a couple weeks, months, years, or whatever ahead of you, and they've gone through the exact same type of situation, and they, they succeeded. And they're looking back saying, you know, I did this, this, this. I had the same exact problem. did this, 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 and this. Did what the guy told me to do, and here I am, six months pain-free, and I succeeded over a problem where nobody else, all these other people said it was an impossible situation why you come to church because there are people that have had the same exact problems 10 15 20 30 40 years ago and they they were in the same position the same dire strait it was an impossible situation and god got them through it and god can get you through too that's why he puts people around us to say hey god got me through it you know this church is literally full of people that in various ways shapes and forms god got you through stuff and maybe you're getting ready to go. Maybe you just get, maybe you just got saved, man. You're you're just starting to go into the land. You're seeing all kinds of crazy stuff. Maybe he had you out in the wilderness for 40 years. Maybe maybe he's gotten you and you and you're up on Caleb's mountain. All the different stages there, but we're all in the land dealing with the same devil, dealing with the same iron chariots, dealing with the same problems that they had to deal with back then. And if we fail, if we make excuses for ourselves, if we do not drive out the things that God expects us to drive out in this day and age. Little kids like Bell, little kids like Isaiah, or Isaac, little kids like Lucas, all these other kids are going to have issues down the road because of us. And I don't want to get into heaven and then watch my kid walk into heaven years and years and years later, if that be the case, and see all the things she had to go through because her daddy did not drive something out of his life that he needed to drive out. And that's the conclusion of the message. Simple as that. Dear Lord, thank you for the day. Thank you for everything that you do for us. Thank you for the Bible here, just kind of laying everything out. Lord, I know it was a longer message. Uh, Lord, but kind of peeling everything back here, looking at how this, this whole story is uh, woven together, the children of Israel's journey and the problems that they had to deal with, Lord, and the people that you put them up against, the things that you forced them to deal with, the giants, Lord, the chariots, the, 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 the people that they had to sit under judgment, Lord, uh, uh, very much like our situations, Lord, that today we have things that we have to deal with, we must deal with these things, we we, there's, no, there's no alternative, Lord, that's good. Uh, only bad things happen if we neglect to deal with these, uh, these hard things in our lives, Lord. Uh, and Dr. Peacock mentioned many things, Lord, very targeted. 
in, um, in the revival, Lord, he mentioned extreme depression, Lord, suicidal thoughts, all kinds of things that you laid on his heart, I believe, for a reason. And, uh, Lord, there's many other things like that that sure, surely if uh, we were not in that position, Lord, there's something else that you pinpointed in our own lives, uh, each and every person in here, the things that are hard, uh, strongholds that we have to deal with. And, uh, Lord, I, I pray that we would not so soon go back to those strongholds and, and just accept defeat. Uh, Lord, after such a great revival, but uh, that we would find a, a way to overcome. And uh, we thank you that your word can provide what we need, Lord. I just pray that you be with the people up here praying, be with uh, the rest of the church, Lord. Uh, be with us for the rest of the night and fellowship afterwards. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Take your song, books. Let's go 292. There's always giants in your life. I watched the Lord take a little boy in Kentucky that should have never done anything and and maybe in the big big scheme of things, I haven't done anything. Uh, but, boy, he sure did do a lot of stuff for me. And uh, I count my blessings all the time. I keep my mind on him and what he's done for me. Uh, and then I watch what he's done for others. And, and like I said, man, I remember a time when I was sitting on the side of a ship all by myself and I had absolutely nothing. And today I've got quite a bit of stuff. And I'm sitting there, and it's all in the Lord. I'm like that guy in the Bible that... Uh, was under his master and his master gave him a wife and gave him some kids and gave him this and gave him that and one day the master said hey it's time for you to go if you want to go and he looks and he says hey everything I have is under you I don't want to go anywhere else what I got he goes well he went right to the doorpost he stuck his ear up there and said go on drive on all through this thing put a ring in here he said I'm yours forever and you know what most of us have done we've never done that I did that a long time ago <laughs>